You know, I've been doing a lot of reading lately, and I'm reading a book. I should, it's, it's long overdue that I read this book. Everyone's been telling me for years to read this book, and I never got around to it, because I like, <laughs> I like books with, you can turn it, you can turn it on now. Thanks. I like books with, yes, baby. Oh. I like books with pictures in it, you know. <laughs> you know, and little captions on the top, you know, I like, I like those, man. You know, got, this book is like 500 pages long. It's by Dallas Willard. And it's called The Divine Conspiracy. And man, I tell you what. I mean, God's timing is perfect for everything. He, he knew when I need to read it. Man, this book has been. You ever feel like you open up the word of God and you get fire hosed with his word? It's, I've just been getting fire fire holes with truth and it's been amazing and the one thing that he said you're going to hear me preach this at some point because it was revelatory for me one thing that he said in his book early on is that we need to be aware and be conscious not to view God as some ethereal being in the cloud somewhere but that when the, he that when the Bible says the heavens declare the glories of God and the earth shows forth his handiworks. That word heavens means right here in right here among us in the air that we breathe. Jesus said this time and again, and I want to say it to you today. God is right here in this room with us. With every breath we take, with every move we make, with every conversation we have, before, before we even have it, God is already present right here in this room with us. When we pray, we don't have to shout to the heavens because our God that we serve is right here in the room with us. Dallas goes on to talk about how, you know, when we read scripture, sometimes we see the, we hear about the manifestation of God happening. And, you know, it's like we see his, we see him like up in the sky and like, boom, bright lights and everything. But no, when the Bible says that the glory of God appeared, it's like, boom, out of thin air, right in the room that they were in. He's right here. We just need to cre increase our awareness to the truth that he is right here with us present all of the time. Yeah. How cool is that? All right. I think this is going to be so good. I hope you all get something out of this like I, like, like I have since I've been nestling myself in this, in this scripture over the past week. Let me start off by making this statement. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. You've heard that said down through the years, haven't you, that imitation is the highest form of flattery? What does this mean? It means that when someone makes something that is held in high esteem or regard, others will try to reproduce it so that they can Enjoy the success that it brings. Duplication, imitation. Our everyday language is replete with words for products that once were 
brand-specific names, but have become so successful that they've taken on a generic meaning in the conversations that we have every day. I want to give you a bunch of examples, man. This is so cool. You might be out recreating on a lake, right? And you might think that you're riding around on a jet ski, but if, you're, if what you're riding on isn't made by Kawasaki Heavy Industries, it is just a personal watercraft. It's not jet ski. Jet ski is a brand name. If your brand name on your hot tub is not jacuzzi, then you are in a hot tub. Chances are your slow cooker at home, your crock pot, is not really a crock pot. Crock pot's a brand name. You might just have a slow cooker. And how many of you go to the store to pick up some chapstick to put on your lips, huh? Well, unless it's made by Pfizer, it's not chapstick, it's lip balm. When you sneeze and somebody says, bless you, and you ask them, do you need a Kleenex? It's not really most of the time a Kleenex. I mean, those are Kleenexes, but it's a generic name for tissue. Microsoft put on their website that unless you're using their software, your PowerPoint is not a PowerPoint. It's a graphics presentation program. If you go to clean your ears and you look on the package and it doesn't say Q-tip, you're not using a Q-tip. You're using a cotton swab. Scotch Magic Tape is, the, is only manufactured in one place in the world, Hutchinson, Minnesota, and any other brand is simply transparent adhesive tape. Listen, not all gelatin is jello. <laughs> Think about it. You see, you see the gelatin, is, it's jello. No, but not all gelatin is jello. Jello brand gelatin is a dessert whose copyright is owned by Kraft. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm guilty of all of these except for the one with the watercraft because you probably will never see a brother on a watercraft. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> but, uh, but Earl Silas Tupper is the creator of Tupperware containers. Now, my wife and I were, were finishing up dinner the other night, and, you know, we had some leftovers. She said, baby, can you reach down there and grab me the Tupperware? And I knew exactly what she was talking about. But you know what? I looked on the top, and I looked on the container, and it wasn't Tupperware. It's simply plastic containers. You guys with me? I just gave you 10 brand-named items that have made such a mark on our culture that countless imitations have arisen that have come to be known by the brand name themselves. Countless imitations, hence the Tupperware. But they're simply imitations of the brand. In much the same way, people are prone to emulate people that we regard as, as successful people. We see this happen all the time in sports and in business and in entertainment and in law enforcement, medical field, even religion, just to, just to name a few industries. Ambitious people within these industries are more prone to find someone to emulate, look at their track record of proven success and, and think and act 
like that person saying, if they can have that kind of success, if I imitate what they do, I can have that same success too. As followers of Jesus Christ, we too are to become imitations of our brand. As Christians, we too are to become imitations of our brand. We are no longer our own. We are bought with the price, sealed by the, by the Holy Spirit, branded, if you will, grafted in as children of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ. We too are to become imitations of our brand. How much more would the glory of God be manifested in this world if every disciple of Jesus Christ sought to live a life that imitated the life of Jesus Christ and then, with that in mind, imitated or lived a life worth imitating? Jesus tells us, and, and you know, you might not think it's possible, but Jesus tells us it is. Listen to what he says in John 12, John 14, beginning at verse 12. He says, I say to you, surely, surely, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I did. And watch this, greater works than these will he do than what I did, because I'm going back to the Father. Now watch this now. And whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The Father wants to glorify the Son through us. So I want to take, as we continue this series, maybe this might be the last one, depends on how the Holy Spirit leads me, in the series about the glory of God, we titled For His Glory. I want to take for a title today, Not a Cheap Imitation. We're not a knockoff brand. We're not a cheap imitation. We are carriers of the glory of God and we are made in his expressed image. Hmm. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to drop down to verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 31. You know, it's really cool. I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm listening to pages turning. And so, some folk in here are old-fashioned like me. They like to go to their Bibles, and like with the hard copies. I love that. Others, like these, <clears throat> these techie people, like I won't mention any names, like Amanda Elliott back there. Um, they have their word on their electronic device, and that's fine. I have my word on my electronic device, too. It's easy. You can take it with you wherever you go. The main thing is it's always have the word of God with you. Man, I'm going to start preaching on something else in a minute. That's what happens when the preacher's in you, man. You know, you, you start hearing things. You start hearing from God and someone's down track. Are you down to verse 31 of chapter 10? So whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, 
do all to the glory of God and give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Verse 1 of chapter 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Hmm. Let me give you a little context here. Paul here in this, these last few verses is summarizing the instruction that he had been given to the church in Corinth that led all the way back to chapter 8. And, and he gave instruction on, on topics such as, is it lawful for Christians to eat food that has been offered to idols? And, and how to avoid self-indulgence? And how to glorify God by seeking the welfare of your brothers and others not even in the body of Christ? How to live a righteous life? Watch this now, free from the bondage of the law. This instruction from Scripture that Paul is given today is timeless. And it has its application for us today. How do you know that, Greg? Because we are in Christ and we are free. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, he says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How many of you have been set free by the Son? Then I got news for you today. I got good news for you today. You are free indeed. And then Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, I almost went King James right there and said, In Christ Jesus has set you free, but that's not what the ESV says. It says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. How many Holy Ghost filled people in this church? Let me see you. Yeah, so we're not, in, we're not bound by the law. We're not in bondage to the law. Hmm. Paul continues to write in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. He says, since you're no longer in bondage, stand fast therefore in the liberty where which Christ has made you free and do not again be entangled with the yoke of bondage. We've been set free. Everybody say free. free. Now here's the curveball. See, we tend to forget that with great freedom, with great liberty, comes great responsibility. And the freedom we have in Jesus Christ does not give us the license to sin or an excuse to be irresponsible. Disciples of Christ are freed indeed, but our freedom must always be balanced with our responsibility to God and others. Because Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 48, to whom much is given, much is required. We're not a cheap imitation. 
as followers of Jesus Christ. We're to live a life worth imitating. So, 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 Pastor Greg, we're talking about the glory of God. How can I live a life worth imitating? One that glorifies God. Let me show you three ways right out of our text today. We just read it. Verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So here's my first point. Refuse to live callously with your freedom. You ever have a callous on your hand? Okay, I, uh, just a, a confession here. I have this video game I like to play. It's called Assassin's Creed. And in my, and, and, and in my, in my designated free time, man... I'll play Assassin's Creed. I love Assassin's Creed. My guy is good, too. He's powered up. For you tech, you, you gamers, you know what I'm talking about. But I played that game so long that I have a callus on my finger. And when you have a callus, it's hard to feel the things that you need to be able to feel. We should never allow ourselves to become hardened or callous with our freedom that we've been given. The Word of God instructs us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, to take care that our spiritual freedoms don't become a stumbling block for others. See, we are free from the law and free from works, but we're not free to live any way we choose. To this, the Apostle Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let everyone seek his own, let everyone not seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. What's he saying here? What's he saying here? Let me put it just in, 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 just, in, just in terms we can understand. When you find yourself in a situation where you have to make a choice or take an action, before you say anything, before you do anything, stop, breathe, and listen. And ask yourself, will my actions cause hurt or even harm to anyone? Will my actions cause someone to stumble in their faith or even fall? Now listen, this applies not only to our interactions with each other, but, but Paul is clear here in this text that this applies in our interaction with Christians and non-Christians alike. Yeah? Now, most of you guys know this, but if you don't, now you'll know. Today is a very special day. Today is Pelzetta's birthday. Happy birthday to you. I'm going to let y'all sing it later. I'm going to sing it to you at home, though, baby. Mm. Yes. So, so it's a special day. Yeah, I heard, I heard Kathy say, sweet. So today's a special day, right? So I'm telling you now, when I leave here, when we leave here today, I'm taking my wife home. 
I got steaks already. Marinate and have mercy. Jesus. E. Bo, 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 bo. And, uh, and uh, I have my favorite recipe for some butter on potatoes. I'm going to whip those bad boys up, put some butter on them. Mm. Jesus. Then, then, then I've got, I've got this recipe for, for, for sauteed vegetables. I'm going to get these sauteed vegetables, and I'm going to put the sauteed vegetables, I'm going to put the vegetables in the thing, I'm going to saute them, and then at the end of it, I'm going to take some, some real, everybody say real, some real, real Parmesan cheese, just, you know, the real cheese, but great, I'm going to sprinkle it across those vegetables, have mercy. And then, and then we're going to sit down over candlelight. Hey! <laughs> we're going to sit down over candlelight and we're going to have dinner. Now, it's quite possible that we'll have a glass of wine with our dinner. You know, but not everybody's from LifeSpring. Not everybody understands how we have the liberty to, in our, in our own home, to have a glass of wine in the privacy of our own home. But this is something that Pelzette and I decided a long time ago. Not everyone is at the same level of development in their faith as we are. And we decided that we would not, we would not drink wine or any other alcoholic beverage in public lest it become a stumbling block for someone else. There are people in the body of Christ, listen to me now, there are people in the body of Christ who are recovering alcoholics. There are people in the body of Christ that are strong in their faith that get offended by someone of the faith having a glass of wine. There are people in the body of Christ who are weak in their faith that might fall to the wayside because what they see us do as pastors might be a stumbling block for them. So we cannot allow our actions to be a stumbling block for someone else. What's your point, pastor? For all of us, our motivation for every action we take, every decision we make, our motivation must be to glorify God in everything we do. Christ-like character should be on display in our words and our actions. And our desire to be more like Jesus should steer us away from anything that could be perceived even as a little sin. We have to be people of integrity. You know, I said this, and I took it out of my notes. But I, I'm going to say it anyway. You know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I mean, though, sometimes I like to think that I am. And my closest friends outside my wife, me, myself, and I like to think that I am too. But I am not perfect. And I found myself repenting to my wife over something that I should have done differently because I told her that I would before I did it and I didn't. And I had to go back and repent to her for that. Because I want to be a man of integrity. 
And if I can't be a man of integrity with my own wife, then how in the world can I preach to you about being people of integrity? Now, I'm going to say this. I didn't do that so I could preach to you and be a person of integrity. I can preach to you and be a person of integrity because that is what I do. And I want to challenge you all to be people of integrity. Amen? How can I live a life worth imitating that glorifies God? One, refuse to live callously with, with my spiritual freedom. Two, the second one, is to pursue the good of others first. Everybody say first. First. My actions glorify God when they result in good for others. I'm just going to give you some practical examples, man. You all do this too all the time. You might not know what the outcome is this side of heaven, but you do it. And I encourage you to continue to do it. You know, the other day, Pelzetta and I were going to get a car wash, and we were sitting in the car wash. And there was a guy in front of us. He was going to get his car wash, but he's having trouble with his card. You guys ever have trouble with your card? It's embarrassing. You know, like, your card declined. You know you got money in the bank, but it declined. It's embarrassing, man. This guy kept putting his card in. He couldn't get it to work. And finally he got out of his car and he looked back and he said, he said, hey man, um, I can't get my car to work. I need you guys to back out so I can pull out. And Belzetta looked at me and she said, baby, let's pay for his, let's pay for his, uh, his car wash. And I said, yeah, what's your card? <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, yeah, yeah. So I went over and I... I went up to the thing. I said, hey, man. I said, uh, I said don't, don't, don't get out. Because he opened his door. I said, don't get out, man. I said, my wife and I want to bless you with the car wash. He said, say what? I said, yeah, man, we want to bless you, man. He said, you don't have to do that. I said, I know we don't have to do it. I said, we want to do it. We want to bless you with this car wash. And the look that came over his face was like, wow, watch this now. I didn't preach to him. I didn't tell him I was a pastor. I didn't tell him how good Jesus was. I didn't need to. He saw it by my actions because I was seeking someone else's good and put it before ours. We weren't. Fast forward a few days now, we're sitting in a restaurant. Pelzetta and I are having a great time just sitting there. And this young couple walks in, man. And we start to reminisce as we watch this young couple walk in with this baby. And we, we were debating, how old is this young couple? And I thought maybe in their early 20s. And, and then we started to reminisce back on when we got married. I was 20 years old and she was 18. We had our first child at 19. And we remembered the struggle at that age and how, how infrequently, infrequently it was that we could even go out to dinner. So... She says, um, why don't we bless this young couple with dinner? I said, yeah. And she said, where's your card? <laughs> and, so, and so she went, we went over, we met the couple, and she stood at the table, and I went up there and, and, and you know, paid for the dinner. They have no, listen, they had no idea that was going to happen. None. I'm sure they went up to the cash register waiting to pay their bill or going to pay their bill only to find out that someone had done something good for them and they didn't, they had no idea what was happening. You see, listen, 
My actions glorify God when they result in good for others. Now, it's not all about money. I want to give you something else, man. Last Monday, I think last Monday or Tuesday, might have been Wednesday, I was in my prayer closet just studying the word of God, and the Holy Spirit reminded me of a dream that I had about a friend of mine. It was too early in the morning to call him, so I texted him, and I said, man, I had a dream about you, man. I said, and when you have a minute, I want to talk with you about it. So time forwards a little bit, and I get this phone call. And I tell him, I said, hey, man, I said, listen, I had this dream that you and I were walking through a storm together. I said, it was a difficult storm. You looked at me and you said, we are going to get through this storm together. Come on. Come on, Mac." He said, man, you know, that's interesting because I was just telling my wife that it feels like I'm in a storm. He said, he started telling me about some of the things that was going on in his life. And he said, and my daughter broke her wrist snowboarding. And she broke it so bad that when she went and had the MRI, the orthopedic surgeon said that it's the, one of the worst he's ever seen. And even after surgery, chances are it's going to give her problems. There'll be complications possibly for the rest of her life. So in that moment, I just stopped and said, hey, man. Can I pray? Can we just pray together for your daughter? You see, Pelzette and I are in that vein where we're watching God do spectacular things. Why not stay in there for a little while? So I'm, I'm praying with my friend. Two days later, he calls me back. Hey, man. He said, we took our daughter to the, to the surgeon. He did a final MRI to make sure that the surgery was going to, where he needs to do the surgery incision and all that. He said, and the bones have gone back into alignment and in place and are healing on their own and there's no surgery required. Now, listen, had I not stopped in that moment and agree with my friend for his greater good. Who's to say what the outcome would have been? Listen, you and I have to always be looking for opportunities to bless others, to do good to others, to keep the good of others in mind in front of ours, before ours, first. First. That make sense? So refuse to live callously with your spiritual life. Pursue the good of others first. And then third and finally, my actions glorify God when they result in the... Oh, I already said that. See challenges as kingdom opportunities. See challenges as kingdom opportunities. Paul says here, I'm not seeking my own good, but for the, men, for the good of many that they may be saved. How can Christ become relevant to those who don't know him? Often it's the way that we respond to the challenges in our life. These challenges that give us opportunity to allow God to, to work through us so that his glory can be revealed through us. Yeah? In Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 16, 
Paul is walking through Athens just before he ends up at Aragopius. And he's walking through Athens and he's seeing all of these statues, idols, and his spirit becomes troubled. He walks around the corner and he sees this, this placard, this statue that says, and it's got a label on it that says, to the unknown God. And so Paul begins a dialogue, a discourse with the philosophers in Athens about who this unknown God is. He tells them, this God that is unknown to you is not unknown to me. He is the God of all gods, the God of all creation. Every God is going to bow to this God. He is the only true and living God. And his, his presentation of the gospel was so compelling that at the end of that chapter, it says that many people came to join Paul because of how he expressed the resurrection and the gospel of the kingdom was advanced through Paul. God used a statue to an unknown God as a catalyst for someone to proclaim the good listen to people who didn't believe in him. Listen, we are challenged daily by the things that we face every single day. But let me remind you, family, that every challenge is an opportunity to see God move and to see God be glorified in our life and to see the kingdom of God be advanced just by us being available to him. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And this is my final point. Endeavor to, endeavor to live a life worth imitating. Endeavor to live a life worth imitating. You know, many people think that a sermon is what I do here on Sunday morning. And it is. But I want to remind you that your life is a living sermon. You know what a sermon is? Right out of the dictionary, a religious discourse delivered in public, delivered in public, usually by the member, a member of the clergy or priesthood. Watch this now. You are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, the called out ones. See, I'm not the only priest in the house. Every one of you are priests in the house. Therefore, every one of you are preachers, and your lives are living sermons to the world around you. If nobody else get happy, I'm happy all by myself. A sermon is, is a speech on, on conduct and duty. A sermon, a sermon, we're living sermons, and every single thing that we say and do is preaching the gospel as, as we walk around this earth as kingdom representatives. Sermons. So I want to close today with this poem by poet Edgar A. Guest. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, our life is a living sermon, and his poem is titled, Sermons We See. Sermons We See. Listen to what he says. 
I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes, a better pupil, and more willing than the ear, find counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hand in actions, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. I might understand you, for I might understand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. When I see a deed of kindness, I am eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stays behind, just to see if I can help him, then I wish then the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And all travelers can witness that the best of guides today is not the one who tells them, but the one who shows the way. One good man teaches many. Men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness notice is worth 40 that are told. Who stands with men of honor, learns to hold his honor dear. For right living speaks a language which is everyone, to which everyone is clear. And though I'm able, and though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. So I wrap up this poem with my own words to you. May our Christ-like words and actions be the sermon others see and be compelled to imitate the Christ in you and me. You are not a cheap imitation. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us. We are his workmanship, handcrafted for good works. Let's live that out. What you say? <laughs>